Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. She was a king's daughter. She was a king's sister. She was a king's wife. She was a queen, and by the same title, a king. Also, a fabulous drink served at brunch all over the United States. The end. Let's talk about Mary the First of England. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1516, King Henry VIII is on the throne in England. He's married to his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. One and a half years before, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to a church door and ignited the Protestant Reformation. John Fox, author of Fox's Book of Martyrs, was born. King Ferdinand II, King of Spain, father of Catherine of Aragon, grandfather of the future Queen Mary I, died. And on February 18, 1516, Mary I of England was born. Mary was the only living child of Henry VIII of England and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. You should listen, probably, before this podcast to episode 22, which is the Catherine of Aragon podcast, and then listen right afterward to the Anne Boleyn podcast, and that will give you insight into the difficult circumstances surrounding her early life. As it is... There were miscarriages, stillbirths, etc. before she was born, and there was at least one after she was born. And at least a couple were boys, which is what Henry and Catherine were working for, and they just didn't get. So, yeah, Henry famously, when Mary was born, said, we're still young. <laughs> I love you, too. So the greatest ladies and gentlemen of the land were her godparents. Ironically, her godfather was Cardinal Wolsey. Even more ironically, Anne Boleyn's papa was one of the knights holding the canopy. Dun, dun, dun. I know. But she was really doted on. Yes, but not in the modern way that we think of. No. She wasn't walking around the castle hand in hand with her mom, who was showing her flashcards. Her household, meaning the people who served her, mm -hmm. that was kind of set up immediately. There were four rockers. There's a chaplain <laughs> right away. Mm -hmm. And her own laundress. Now, what mother would not like their children Ugh. to have their own laundress? But a lady governess was in charge of the whole team. Not the first one, but the main one was the Countess of Salisbury, who was a countess in her own right. She wasn't a countess because she was married to a count. Right, yes. High-ranking right. individual. One of the wealthiest women in England, by the way. So she was in charge. And she was basically, if you think of the Countess of Salisbury, she was the day-to-day -day mother. That's the person Mary viewed as her lady mother, really. When she stubbed her little baby toe, that's who she ran to. Yeah. yeah. This household cost 400,000 pounds a year in modern day mm -hmm. to maintain. That's crazy. I think that's crazy, too, given that she's not even one. Hmm. I know. And she had a lot of stuff. She did. Because the Tudors like to go to all their properties. <laughs> well, yeah, she did go on progress with her parents. Mm -hmm. Um you know, showing off, number one. you got to show yourself to the people. Also, you kind of ate up the supplies around you. Mm -hmm. And so you had to kind of move to get more food. And you would just leave your mess behind and let people clean it out behind you because things got gross and yeah. dirty. So you'd move out of there. Um, she did have suites of rooms near her mother in the bigger palaces. But by the time she was one, she had 22 male servants and even more female servants. So sometimes they had to move that whole operation down the road a couple miles just to accommodate, accommodate her. her entourage. Does that kill you? It does. 
So still, I'm still, I'm still stuck on the personal laundress, quite frankly. Let's do that, man. <laughs> what a great baby shower gift that would make. <laughs> so both parents did, like Susan said, dote on her. They made special efforts to see her, and they always got updates on what she was doing. Remember those sheets from daycare that she would get? Like, <laughs> today I pooped three times. Today I, you know... Right. Ate my bananas or whatever it is. They would get those kind of. Mm-hmm. That was someone's job description. <laughs> well, I mean, there were a yeah. lot of servants. Yeah. You know, plenty from, of people yeah. to from, write yeah. the poop note. Yeah, really. Absolutely. So from the moment she was born, Mary was a very important player in international diplomacy. Now, what's your job as a king's daughter but to be a chess piece? Of course. So even though Henry didn't get his son, he did get what he called the Pearl of the Kingdom. Yes. Now, you know, this is something I learned reading this. I guess it makes sense. After the male heir, that's your important guy, Mm -hmm. the daughters were more important than subsequent sons because they would go outside the kingdom kind of as little ambassadresses for their kingdom. Okay. Your younger sons, what use are they, really? Except to spend your money. Right. And lay around waiting for in case the heir dies. Unless a bunch of people die ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, a daughter was a very key, important piece, which I had forgotten about. So, Mary, at two years old, was betrothed to the six-month-old Dauphin of France, with the world's smallest engagement ring, by the way. A diamond. Yeah, a big diamond in a gold band. The little boy, this is cracking me up, the little boy was considered too young to attend his betrothal ceremony, Mm -hmm. so it was a proxy, but Mary was there at two. She wasn't too young. No. She wanted to know if she was supposed to kiss him. Yes, she, she thought that was her betrothed. Yes, the proxy was a man named Admiral Bonnevay. And she said to him, are you the Dauphin? If so, I want to kiss you. Cute as that. Well, she was told she was going to, you know, her future husband. And how did she know it wasn't this no, man? No, no. She didn't know. Yeah. So at four, though, uh, the marriage didn't come across, really. I mean, it kind of broke up. France and England really never were very cordial with each other. In fact, by the time she was six, she was betrothed for the second time to her own cousin, a grown man. 22 uh, years old. Yeah, the new Emperor Charles V of Spain. Incidentally, this year, the year Mary was betrothed to her cousin, yes. Anne Boleyn first shows up at court. Uh-huh. All the players are entering the stage. They are. At assorted times. And sweet little Mary is toddling around trying to do her duty for her country. (laughs) Well, Mama, Catherine of Aragon, loves the thought of this marriage. Loves it. I mean, Spain was her home. Oh, of course. Spain is the major player. I mean, that's the big prize right there. You're going to get to be the queen of Spain. I know. Oh, my God. And uniting of families. You know, in my mind, there's too much uniting. Charles had a big old mm-hmm. lantern jaw because of all that inbreeding. But whatever. Oh. What are you going to do? Still, he was a nice man. Um, also, <laughs> they gave her a pony that day. So in case, like, the husband thing didn't work out, she'd remember that day fondly because there was a pony. She got a pony. Her mother figure, the Countess of Salisbury, had made sure that Mary was drilled in her high position from birth, what was expected of her. And that little girl made a great impression on everyone she met. She had this beautiful Tudor red gold hair, tiny little pixie figure. She was a beautiful dancer. That was her big strong point, mm-hmm. I think. Um, she was an accomplished musician, and she was very serious. She wasn't perhaps an intellectual, but if someone asked her to do something, she would put her head down and do it because it was expected of her. Mm-hmm. 
Not that she was like, I am so excited to study. No, someone told her that one must study, and so she did it. Henry publicly stated at this point, keep in mind, she's only six, that this daughter was his heir, always hoping for a son. Her education in in that regard was not to be taken lightly. No. Um, now, when she was very, very little, you know, she did have that chaplain, and it was probably his job to teach her her letters and her ABC and her little prayers that children say. And when she became about six or seven, male masters were brought in to teach her French, Latin, not much Spanish, which kills me. We do know where she's going. And you do know what the native language of her mother is. It can, I mean, they do that over and over. We've talked about that on mm-hmm. this podcast before. It's like, you know she's going to go somewhere mm-hmm. and marry someone. Mm-hmm. Why do you not teach her that language? Like, Marie Antoinette didn't have a whole lot of French. No. Until right before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they thought mom would talk to her in Spanish. Catherine of Aragon commissioned a famous Spanish humanist to write a book, which was called The Education of a Christian Woman. Now, it was fashionable for a generation to educate your daughters to the max. Now, kings are different. Kings can do what they want, and they probably better. But, you know, this whole generation of ladies were educated, I want to say, almost better than any woman until the 1900s, maybe even until the 1970s. Hmm. I mean, they were highly educated. Mm-hmm. Just for a little while. Just for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, this book mostly lamented, like, it's too bad that these women's minds, which are superior, are trapped in such weak vessels. So pr- prone to lust. So prone to worldliness. And they did believe that women had a sphere, like, on the left, and men had a sphere on the right. And they met in the middle, but everyone was supposed to be an expert in where they were. Mm-hmm. And that's how Mary was educated, in contrast to her sister Elizabeth, who came later, who was educated to just be educated. Right. Do you know what I mean? No, no, no. It was just like knowledge for knowledge's sake by the time it got to Elizabeth. But Mary was taught in a very traditional way. Knowledge for women. Yes. Right. So by the time Mary was seven, Henry VIII decided it was time for her to assert her rights as a major landowner. And princes, heirs, had been princes of Wales for a long time. Right. Now, she was never given the title of princess of Wales. However, she was sent to Wales mm-hmm. to rule over that area. So so she is moving out of London to Wales with her own castle. Ludlow Castle was her home. Yeah, but her people who have been with her since birth are all going with her. Right. So and she's used to moving around. So yeah. it's she's given her own home. To rule over, but it's not an entirely different lifestyle. For and her. do you know? Did you watch the Tudors, the TV show? The Tudors? I did. I finally made it all the way through the Tudors. It took me a very long time, but I finally made it all the way through. Well, it just made it seem there, and I think they were doing it for modern sensibilities. Like Catherine of Aragon was like, "You're taking my daughter from me. Mm-hmm. You're ripping her apart." But you know, Catherine of Aragon would have known that that was an honor, or that that was a definition that. She was his daughter, yeah. his heir. Now, complicating matters are the fact that Henry had an illegitimate son who, at the same time, he had made a duke. Right. But the fact that he didn't send that duke to Wales, did he? No. no he sent Mary. Right. So she's still up there. There is a council that is appointed to deal with actual governess, but she was a very important figurehead. You know, local noblemen and knights were petitioning for her notice, petitioning for her help, sending gifts. They would give the poor alms in her name. People, honestly, around there seemed kind of relieved to have someone around taking the reins because since Henry VIII's brother Arthur had been there, there'd been nobody right on the spot right. to deal with things. 
<laughs> no royalty in residence. Exactly. But really, she, it's like Princess Academy for her because she has these responsibilities, but she has people that are doing the, the almost the puppetry for her and, and teaching her. A quick word on religion, because she's so famously Catholic. At this point, this is pre-Anne Boleyn, this is pre-everything, at this point... Mm-hmm. You just went to Mass, and you did your rosary, and it was just expected. It wasn't an unusually religious childhood. Right. So, she spent money. Oh, did they spend money at that house on lavish entertainments? Sounds like her father. Uh, <laughs> she does a lot of things that sound like, like her, her father. father. Well, local employment was always welcome. Local food purveyors were in the money. Uh, local entertainers were in the money. Really, the economy boomed when she got there because she brought spenders with her. She and well, she always had to have people around her. She, they were instructed to be around her to talk to her at dinner, and she loved music. She also played the lute. She played the virginal, which is a tiny piano. It's very small, so she loved music. And it was said that Mary was a joyful child. If she was on a hunt, she would like whoop when they saw the quarry, and her hair was streaming behind her, and she would laugh out loud. I mean, she was charming and endearing. Her servants loved her. Her subjects loved her. Foreign dignitaries were so impressed by her. So she was a cult of personality at the age of nine. A cult of personality. I'm just saying. She was. She was also still engaged. Because that engagement to Charles V lasted for a few years, and she would write him love letters. I mean, how, I mean, he's like in his mid-twenties at this point, and she's nine, <laughs> writing him love letters. And at one point, she sends him an emerald ring, but at that point, he realizes he can't wait. He needs to get on the, the air machine himself. So he breaks off the engagement. And married a different cousin, by the way. Because, you know, that's what one does. First cousin. Isabella from Portugal. I'm just like, dude, you know, can you just expand your gene pool, please? Just a little bit. (laughs) But, yeah, it made sense for him. You know, he couldn't wait around for Mary to grow up. So that's unfortunate. So there's number two, engagement down. And at 11, she had a third failed engagement. She was engaged to the second son of Francis I. Three failed engagements, and she's 11. And it was right after this that Henry VIII began to cast around and kind of investigate an enrollment. I don't have a son, blah, blah, blah. We know from those previous podcasts how Henry was starting to get. And Anne Boleyn was on the scene. But you know who didn't know about that? Mary. No. That was concealed from her as long as possible. But honestly, if you've listened to those two other podcasts, you know that this whole thing, this whole Anne Boleyn thing, took six years to really unroll Mm -hmm. thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Um, There's plenty of time to put the rumor mill in place. There's plenty of time to hear... Tittle-tattle from the servants. There's plenty of time to put two and two together for a smart girl like Mary. Mm-mm. Many high-born women who were friends of Catherine of Aragon and were braver than their menfolk let their displeasure be known, honestly. Uh, even Henry VIII's younger sister, Mary, which made a huge impression on our Mary, who started to see her mother as horribly wronged, which she was. But the women who surrounded her were not shy about saying how wrong it was. So good for them. Yeah, no kidding. Because the men were all like, whatever you like, (laughs) as you wish. Gross, dudes. Be men. Have some cojones. (laughs) If you're all speaking Spanish. (laughs) 
She still had faith in her father that he would do the right thing or come to his senses or something. It just kills me. But this is a man she'd been raised to revere. You know, even the Bible, you know, honor thy mother and father. We know Henry VIII's motivations were changing. And we know how crazy he was. But at the time... Obviously, you're not going to see that right away. No, and she wasn't there all the time with him, and it was her father. She's not going to see... No. She was young. And Catherine of Aragon was given an out that, in retrospect, she probably ought to have taken to go to a nunnery, therefore leaving Mary legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we cover that in Catherine of Aragon. Mary's life would have been a lot different if Catherine of Aragon had taken this rule. So all of Europe knew Mary would be the victim if they had to go divorce, but... Both her parents seem not to face this or even think it was important. Parents can't even do it these days when the best interest of the child is a term that's bantered about. Well, Henry VIII basically did not want Mary to succeed him no matter what. There'd never been a queen regnant in her own right. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no precedent for it. He wanted a boy. He wanted a boy. And he was still on good terms with her. She was his daughter. She was a princess. But she was no ruler to leave after him, and he was going to have his way. So, partway through all this, the stress started to break through for the first time, probably coinciding with the onset of puberty, blah, blah, blah. And they called it hysteria, which she was suffering with. Could have been depression. It could have been anxiety attacks. Um, so, Mary was very, very sick. At least sick acting. Which aren't always the same thing. May I visit her, says Catherine of Aragon, and Henry said, by all means, go there. Stay there for all I care. So she really didn't feel like she could go because it didn't feel like she could come back yeah. and be the queen. <laughs> come back and find all your stuff on the front lawn. Anne, at this point, had moved into Catherine's apartments, her space. She was wearing her jewels, and that had to contribute to her nervousness and her anxiety issues. Well, Anne Boleyn forbade Mary to come to court. I mean, a wife is one thing. You can deal with that. But a child is a whole other thing. And Anne Boleyn Mm -hmm. was not about to fight that battle. And so, mother and daughter, this is the only good thing to come out of here, the mother and daughter did spend one summer together at Windsor, Mm -hmm. both having been abandoned by Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII. But at least they got to spend the summer together. Unfortunately, Henry VIII separated them after that beautiful summer. Henry sent the mother one way and sent the daughter a different way, and what they didn't realize is they would never see each other again. Never again. Henry came with a big announcement. Here's the good news, he said. You have a new mother. (laughs) That's not good news. And I married Anne Boleyn, and she was supposed to stop writing to her mother. He was married to Anne Boleyn and had put her mother away. And this whole move made Mary an illegitimate child. You know, she was very good with her response to that. She was very tactical, which I would not necessarily have expected of her. Here's a quote about how she reacted to that letter. She was at first thoughtful, and then, as the wise person she is, dissembled as much as she could and seemed to rejoice in it without alluding to the least to the marriage the princess set about writing a letter to her father. It must have been a work of magic because Henry VIII was so proud of it and showed the letter around. What a wise princess, what a prudent princess. She would be no trouble like her stubborn mother. Hmm. Au contraire, mon frere, but more on that later. (laughs) So we can forgive Mary for thinking she was out of the woods for a little bit because he was so happy to get her letter. The The signals that she was receiving were positive. And the signals she was giving were positive. 
But then Henry Roder saying, I need your jewels back. Not just shiny things. These aren't just sparkly things in your Hello Kitty jewelry box. Right. These are important symbols of her position. That's bad. That's bad. That's a bad sign. Oh, dear. At this point, because Anne Boleyn was along in her pregnancy when they got married, Elizabeth is born. Now, Mary's still a teenager, and she has a new stepsister. Yay! Now, here's the thing. If Elizabeth had been a boy, I think Mary would have acted differently. But whatever Mary might have thought of a brother's position, you know, brothers rank you. Right. She was not about to give way to a younger sister. No. No. Well, Henry was ruthless. Stop using the title of princess immediately. All the servants, all the horses, all the vehicles that had Mary's little blue and green badges on them were to be redone with Henry VIII's own. She was not entitled to her own livery. Now she was the recognized and illegitimate daughter of a monarch, so she could use his graphics if she wanted to. Fine, use my graphics. You're my daughter, but you are not a princess. Mary wrote back saying, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, I am so sorry your servants are tricking you. Some ridiculous crap came into my house. Obviously, you didn't write this. <laughs> Henry wrote back, I am surprised you are so arrogant that you think you are a princess and you're pretending to be my heir and you're pretending you're my lawful daughter and you're pretending you were born in matrimony. I'm like, holy crap. And so Mary defied him. And she can't obey him. God gave her the title. Right. Through birth. And God married her parents. And they her were mother was the queen. And he was enraged. And you know, you don't enrage him. No, you don't mess with the... No, not him. You just don't enrage no. him. But he's like, all right, then. He dismantled her whole household. He sent her to be lady-in-waiting to the baby Elizabeth. Princess Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. The only princess, by the way, you can now stand there and wait on her every whim. How about that, if this is how this is going to go? And listen to everybody else call her the princess and see how you were treated when you were that age. But, oh, how the mighty have fallen. No, the Dear daughter. I know, it's very sad. The it Countess is. of Salisbury, keep in mind, day-to-day -day mother, uh -huh. begged to be sent along. Begged. I will pay all my expenses. You don't have to do anything. I just want to go with mm -hmm. her. And uh, the king said, no, you're a bad influence. Look what, look what she just wrote me. It's your fault that you did that. You are not going with her. Yikes. Two men servants, one of which did the horse thing and then a couple of ladies, but... From 160 down to, like, this minimal, that was what an adjustment period. And she became part of Elizabeth's entourage. Oh. And the the Spanish ambassador was on her side and on the mom's side. But what could he do other than refer to Elizabeth as, quote, the little bastard and Anne Boleyn as, quote, the concubine? <laughs> I mean, his master, Charles V, yes, former fiancé, current cousin, Charles V, was not going to go to actual war over this. He made his position clear, but but he helped them out because he sent a an ambassador that would shuttle letters between Mary and Catherine. Yes, Ambassador Chapuis is his name. <laughs> Thank you for pronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, Mary was effectively under house arrest. Mm -hmm. There, yeah. in Elizabeth's house. The head of Elizabeth's household, the lady governess, Anne Shelton, was Anne Boleyn's aunt. And she was in charge of the house. And she was urged to bring Mary Lowe. Now, here's what I have to say about Anne Shelton. History has not been kind to her either. She was ordered to box Mary's ears and treat her badly and remind her of her low position. And to her credit, Anne Shelton refused the more harsh things sent to her by her mm -hmm. brother. Anne Boleyn's father was her right. brother. 
And um, so basically, instead of actually boxing Mary's ears, she would walk in and say, you know, they want me to box your ears. She wouldn't do it. Yeah. But she would be like, just so you know, I'm being told to take your maid away. And then she would just not take the maid away. You know what I mean? Like, just so you know. Mm -hmm. So she got the point across that it wasn't necessarily her that was doing it. Right. But she really was nicer than she probably could have been. And Shelton was terrified that somebody was going to poison Mary and she'd be blamed for it. Oh, blame her. Um, at one point, She's Mary... in a position to do it. I know. At one point, Mary got sick, and the apothecary gave her some medicine, and Mary vomited it up, and from then on, Anne Shelton wouldn't allow Mary to have any more medicine. She's like, oh, no, no, because that's the way it could happen. No more medicine for you. Not that the medicine helped. You know how we feel about that era's medicine. Right? I know, that's right. I wonder what it was. Well, it could be anything. I mean, yeah. it could just be like, you know, your stomach's empty and you put stuff in it and you right. just hurl it. It could yeah. be nothing. No, I mean, I know, but I wonder what that medicine actually, like, what it was. Oh, it was probably like, something like root frog eyes boiled with... Mixed with a mortar and pestle. A hair of a virgin <laughs> harvested on Tuesday in the sunlight. Typical medicine. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Henry VIII actually set out to see both his daughters. Mm-hmm. They're in the same house. Might as well. But Anne Boleyn sent someone after him. To tell him not to see Mary. And you know how Henry is. The last person to talk to him wins. Yeah. And so he went and saw Elizabeth. And he didn't officially see Mary. Although there was a famous scene. Described by onlookers. Where Mary was up on top uh, of the house. And gave him a curtsy. And he gave her a bow. But he rode away. He didn't say anything. But they acknowledged each other's mm-hmm. ex- existence. Hmm. Now, Anne Boleyn offered to help reconcile her with her father if she would acknowledge her as queen. Mary was not going to have any part of that. She said there's only one queen, and that's my mother. But if Madame Anne Boleyn would speak to her father, she would be much obliged. <laughs> Anne Boleyn was infuriated. Yeah, she took she took anything away from Mary that she had left. She wanted her stripped down and beaten raw if she could. It was not... She w- she just saw Mary as such a rival, such a threat. Worse than Queen Catherine. Yeah. Don't you think? Yes. Well, Catherine's not there. She's already taken care of the Catherine situation. And she has Elizabeth. She's still trying to bring that boy child. She sees what happens when that doesn't happen. When that boy doesn't come, she sees what her husband will do. It's right in front of him in the form of Mary. Mm-hmm. The same thing could happen to her her daughter. Well, when Mary was 19, Queen Catherine died, um, devastating Mary. She was pretty inconsolable. The hope of the good old days was really gone forever. It was gone a long time ago, but this was the proof. But right after that, I'm sorry to say, Anne Boleyn's probably fraudulent. And certainly flamboyant downfall must have seemed like the karma wheel turning. That's right. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> There's the obstruction gone, so you'd think it'll be better, but he was still mad at her for that series of letters way back. He was still mad about that. Well, I, yeah, that's just the way he is. And if you think about it, she was the only one that dared to do that to him. Well, it's because she was her father's daughter. I know. I'm just imagining these two extremely stubborn people having this writing match, you know? Um, So Henry VIII wanted her complete and utter submission. I'm head of the church, yes? I was not married to your mother. You are a bastard, yes? And she kept sending what I call almost letters. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know those apologies people give that they don't want to give? Like, I'm sorry if I offended you. Mm -hmm. No, you're sorry that you offended me. That's not an apology. Right. She kept sending, like, oh, I submit to you. 
as far as God allows, or I mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I need you to send what I want you to send me. And so finally he sent a team of thugs to muscle her into signing the statements. He sent the Earl of Essex, and he's a bad man. And he said, and I quote, I could hardly believe you're the king's own bastard daughter. Were she his or any other man's daughter, he would beat her to death or strike her head against the wall until he made it as soft as a boiled apple. She was a traitress, and she would be punished as such. Her father sent someone to say that to her. And did it work? No. No, it did not. Um, So Mary, all alone, 20 years old, and with really no powerful friends, defied her father again. And now is probably a good time to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the aftermath of that (laughs) confrontation and so much more. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can download a free audiobook today by following the Audible link on our website, thehistorychicks.com. There's over 100,000 titles to choose from over all types of literature to play on your MP3 player or smartphone. We are back. Henry and Mary have been going back and forth, and he wants her to sign what was called the Act of Secession. Which is that whole thing about, yes, you are a bastard. Yes, your mother was not my wife. I am the head of the church. And Mary wasn't going to do it. And Catherine wasn't doing it either. And she held out for a couple of years. And then, unfortunately, she died. So now Mary is on her own. It's kind of scary. So, I have to say, Henry VIII is a ruthless abuser. He won't let up. Eventually, Chapuis, the ambassador, just saved her from herself. You just don't read it. Sign it. I can always ask the Pope to forgive you later. The goal is your safety right now. Just sign it. Common sense had to come in the picture at some point. Principles are fine, but not if your head's not attached to your body. <laughs> so, hooray for him. So, she signed it. I mean... But this denial, what she thought of is a denial of her mother, a denial of her birthright, and the church just haunted her the rest of her days. Did she get this stubbornness from her mother, or what? I don't know. I don't think that would have haunted me, but I was not brought up that way. I was just going to say, you're not a devout, I mean, this is devout Catholicism. There's there's a lot of emotion that's tied into it. Well, and I don't even know that it was the church that it was the deal. I think the deal breaker was her illegitimacy mm-hmm. and the, and denying her mother's rights. But moving on, <laughs> um, after five years of not seeing Henry VIII, which sounds like a good five years to me, not seeing him, he welcomed her back to court and gave her a huge amount of money. And he said he felt deep regret for not seeing her for so long. Can we please taser him in his pee-pee? But he did that like she signed and he was there. I know. And at this point, he's married to Jane Seymour. And he's bringing his new wife to meet his daughter. She what? was officially forgiven, but the two, understandably so, never really got back to the old joy in each other. They were 
No. Imagine that. No. Um, third wife, Jane Seymour, at last gave Mary a legitimate baby brother. So Mary and Elizabeth actually played roles in his baptism. So people remarked on that. 21-year-old Mary um, left holding four-year-old Elizabeth's hand. What a happy Brady family. Hmm. They were calm, anyway. These next <laughs> years were calm. Mary built up her jewelry collection again. So that's good. Well, I mean, <laughs> she built up her jewelry collection again, meaning, yes, she had shiny things, but also that she was back in. She wasn't a princess exactly, but she was living the princess life. She supported the work of many extensive weavers and seamstresses. She was a leader of fashion, an innovator when it came to fashion. She gambled excessively, impressed people with her musical and dancing this sounds like Marie Antoinette again. I know, kind of does. And it totally is in contrast to how we picture her. It actually kind of sounds like the Duchess of Devonshire because there was at one point Mary gambled away half of her money and couldn't pay the uh, seamstresses. That sounds like the Duchess of Devonshire. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, just a little. It's just interesting to see that aspect of her. She had a love of fine clothes and jewels and being frivolous. So when she was 23... In an era when many princesses were married at 12, Duke Philip of Bavaria came to England with the express purpose of courting Mary. He's 100% Lutheran, and Mary just said mildly, Well, I didn't expect to enter that kind of religion, but I'll do as my father wishes. It doesn't sound like a religious zealot to me yet. At no. 23, she didn't even freak out. Well, all right, Philip actually kissed her. Her first kiss at 23. I'm not sure if the violin's played or not, but... The marriage never went anywhere. The marriage treaty seemed good to me. You do have to waive your right to the crown. Here's three million pounds. Just take that with you. Whatever. Somehow it never worked out. Other bows came and went. You know, there's no shortage of takers. Mm -hmm. That's another thing people don't realize. Like, everyone just thought she was a maiden until a really long time. Right, and you think that she turned, and you do hear that she turned people away based on religious beliefs. But if at this point... Lutheran or Protestant... No, that wasn't it. It was a political thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm almost wondering if Henry VIII just wanted her under his thumb a little still. Like, he was too worried to let her influence go out of the country. Who's she going to marry and think that they have the right to come back in here? I don't know. This will not surprise any of you. He did something horrible. When Mary was 25, he had the Countess of Salisbury executed for something her son had done. The Countess of Salisbury, her day-to-day mother... The woman she got raised by mm-hmm. was murdered by her father. Basically, murdered. murdered. Having done nothing wrong, Mary was violently ill for a long time after that. I mean, there's keeping your facade up, and there's doing what your father wants in the terms of marriage, and then there's this. Is it any wonder at this point we start to get paranoid and a little crazy? I don't think so. No. Not at all, because she gets these glimpses into a semi-normal royal life. And then all of a sudden she sees what her dad really is. And the again, mask has come off again. And all, anything that's happened over the years comes back to haunt her. And it haunts her through her immune system. So, uh, Henry VIII sent Mary away to her brother's house during that embarrassing and very brief debacle known as his fifth marriage. The whole young teenage wife cheats on old fat guy thing. That was embarrassing, probably. <laughs> but she's brought back soon afterward and hey. Daddy was coming over every day. What the, what's the deal with that? Well, maybe he really likes me, or what's the deal? Oh, ho, a lovely lady named Catherine Parr is in Mary's Ladies. Yeah. There's no wife's ladies to poach from, so let's go to the daughter's house and poach from her ladies-in-waiting. 
Well, it was kind of his reserve pools. Ugh. Well, I do her a disservice. They were really very friendly together. They had years of comfortable knowing each other. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, Mary even translated Protestant texts for Catherine Parr. She was really good at translating. Mm-hmm. No pro. Oh, that's what you want me to do? I'll do it real quick. Don't worry. Doesn't sound like something you and I would like to spend our afternoon doing. Would you translate this from the Greek for me, Susan? Absolutely. Oh, of course, Becky. Have whatever some more tea. So, uh, it was a period of, of nice family life, I think. Once he married Catherine Parr, uh, everything calmed the heck down for a while. Catherine Parr was no fool, as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Pretty stable. She was very kind. Henry VIII died, and the trumpets played inside my head. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, her oppressor's gone, at last, at last, but he left her a very wealthy woman. Most significantly, he left her the Howard Lands. Let's call that the Boleyn Lands. Right. Mm-hmm. In Norfolk and Suffolk. Um, so she also had a lot of territory in East Anglia, a million pounds a year, 32 houses and manors. I mean, this is not small potatoes. Elizabeth also similarly provided for. So there's that. So now she can afford quite a few jewels and dresses if she wants. And she thought that the country was in good hands and her brother Edward. Mm-hmm. You know, he was still young, but he, he was given people to counsel him and rule with him. And dad had set it all up. She didn't want to rule. So this was a good life for her. She was free from any of his possible, I don't know, freakouts is the only word I can think of. Well, she treated her brother, who was nine when he became king, she treated him maternally, which is fine, but she felt completely free to disregard orders from the men who were acting as his counselors. (laughs) She saw them as hypocrites, Mm -hmm. and she wasn't taking it from them, because after all, who were they? Nobody. Because she was Princess Mary, although she wasn't really the princess. <laughs> I mean, she had no title. I don't think she ever stopped thinking of herself. No, no, no. She never did. No. So I think this, in my reading, I think her devotion to Catholicism kind of crystallized about now. Mm-hmm. Like, before then, it was just a fact. But now is when it started to be, I'm on this side, people are on the other side. Because there was sides. Yes. And um, she had thought that the church under Edward would be similar to the church under Henry. Catholicism minus the Pope. That the services would be what she was used to her entire life. But at this time, the council was making some changes, and through Parliament, there was actually acts passed that made the celebration of Catholic Mass illegal. Mm -hmm. And the prayers were read in English and from the Book of Common Prayer. Psalms were being sung in English instead of Latin. This was not the church that Mary was imagining it was still going to be. And it was kind of like the frog and the cold water that the fires put on and they don't know they're dying. And she was told she could still worship as she wished in private. But eventually, um, the Act of Uniformity was passed and she was supposed to sign an oath that said she wouldn't practice that way. Yeah, and you know what? We know her by now, don't we? She (laughs) had not compromised her principles for her father... How much less was she going to compromise to some people when they prohibited the Mass? And so she began ostentatiously to celebrate Mass four times a day, or to hear Mass four Mm -hmm. times a day. So always, in times of trouble, she wrote to her cousin, the Emperor of Spain, Catholic, to intercede for her. He's basically like, please let my cousin celebrate her religion as she will. 
love me. <laughs> it, he's not going to send men over there stomping around with swords no. or whatever. No. Um, there's years of battling over this, by the way. Yeah. The general people are not at all convinced of the new religion. How did it look to have such a public figure, A, not buy in, and B, defy the king? It didn't look good. There was increasing pressure. Like what had happened with Papa back in the day, with the boiled apple head mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Charles actually sent some ships to fetch her. At one point, yes, but she kind of chickened out when they got there and she missed her window. Well, it's kind of an open secret. It's like everybody knew, hey, look at those ships. Oh, yeah, yeah she's preparing to go somewhere. Yeah, it wasn't like a helicopter could come in from another country, mm-hmm. land in the dead of night, and then fly away with her. It was a little more. And wrong. anything at all could have gone wrong with this Swiss mm-hmm. cheese plan. Mm-hmm. But what went wrong was Mary was dithering around. Yep. She didn't want to go by herself. She wanted to take some other stuff. She wanted to blah, blah, blah. It was Marie Antoinette's fleeing, by the way. It was just like that. You took too many people. You took too long to make up your mind. I think it's kind of interesting when you think of Queen Mary and Marie Antoinette being polar opposites. You have the amount of times that we're like, that's just like Marie Antoinette. I know. It's weird. It is very very weird. Yes. You know, if she goes, she leaves all her people to their doom. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Right. And I'll lose my country if I go. I can't claim succession. And then where will I be? Who's going to pay for my stuff? At whose beck and call will I be? So she didn't go. Hmm. <laughs> uh, honestly, there are only two people in her whole life that Mary has ever been afraid of. One is her father, justifiably so. Mm-hmm. The other is the Lord Protector, John Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland. He's the brains behind Edward. Mm-hmm. He's the first guy that Edward goes to for counsel. So John Dudley had a lot of power over the king, and he was a Protestant, and he had high political ambitions. He liked his position, he liked the power, and he didn't want to change it. And he saw Mary kind of as a threat to that. So he insisted that she come to London to be watched. And Edward agreed. This is the kind of power that he had. Mary turned the whole thing into a religious protest. That's her toolkit. And she comes in with her Catholic supporters and they're all carrying things that have been outlawed. Rosaries. Edward is just not amused about all this. He's like, no, you need to sign this that says that you won't do what you are doing. And she, of course, refuses. She has a history of it. Well, he told her in no uncertain terms to obey him. He was her king. And she burst into tears because, you know, that's right. He is the king. Mm -hmm. Even she, you know, boys do take precedence. He was the legal child of her father. He was the king. She had a real crisis, I think, of what do I do? Right. She burst into tears. She's just frustrated. Nobody is listening to her. Edward was frustrated, and he didn't want to make his sister cry either. And he was frustrated because why the hell did she not just sign the freaking thing? What was the big deal? Yeah, he just couldn't. Oh my see god! It. And so he burst into tears. It was just a mess. It was like everyone's crying. Uh, and she doesn't sign it. Mm-mm. And the Duke at this point is extremely upset. He has members of Mary's household arrested, and it was decided by John Dudley, that we need to correct the succession mm-hmm. because we are not having this person come after you. We're not. Right. This person is inappropriate. We are going to get someone else. And so Edward writes out this thing called a device for the succession. He cut out Mary, which was easy given their recent history. Also, she was a bastard. They can't inherit. Uh, she's a woman, as so many are. <laughs> uh, she was also a Catholic. 
He cut out Elizabeth, although he kind of wanted to leave Elizabeth in. She was of the right religion. Mm-hmm. Um, she was intelligent. They had, right. They're kind of nearer in age. They had been raised together. He thought well of her. But, of course, John Dudley had other plans, and he goes, well, sire, she's a bastard, too. And if you leave Mary out, that's the same rule. you got to leave Elizabeth out. Oh, okay, that's, that's, that sucks bad. Okay, moving on. So there's some complicated machinations right after this. We go into more detail in our mini-cast that we'll publish after this one about Lady Jane Grey. So that will have all the details about what happens at this point. And it was obscure cousin of his named Lady Jane Grey. Right. That's all you probably need to know for now. It was not Mary. It was not Mary. No. And it was not Elizabeth. That's the main deal right, right now. So rumors were afoot, though. Mary knew the deal. Mary knew the deal. If you think she doesn't have people willing to run down the street and tittle-tattle to her, you are crazy. (laughs) Here's the thing. Edward is so sick. So sick. And in previous years, people have thought it was tuberculosis. But it turns out it may have been something as simple as a bacterial infection that could have been cured by a $5 Z-pack from the CVS. (laughs) That happened a lot. Anyway, it may have been. That's just like the sick irony. You know, he was a vigorous, smart guy. Mm -hmm. Who knows what could have happened if he had lived. Well, the fact is... He didn't live. No. She was summoned to come to say goodbye to him, really, and she was warned halfway there that it was a trap. Right. And so she turned her booty around and headed back up as fast as possible to her lands that she owned, where, in fact, everyone loved her as they always did when she was their landlord, mm-hmm. um, where the people loved her, where people were willing to fight for her and muster for her. And when, on the 9th of July... Edward's death was confirmed. He actually died three days earlier, but they kept it a secret. Right. When his death was confirmed, she declared that she was the Queen of England. To declare before that, that's treason. So on the 9th, she called all her people together and said, My brother King Edward has departed this life. The right of the crown of England had therefore descended to me by divine law and by human law. She's not playing. No. She also sent a letter to the Privy Council that basically said, I fully expect you... To support me in this, I fully expect you to say from the pulpits, blah, 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 Queen Mary, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, er, the day before, they had proclaimed for Queen Jane, Queen Jane Grey, who no one had ever heard of. Out of left field, this one came. Unfortunately, the messenger that brought them that message was tossed in the tower. Poor guy. So, theoretically, all the big players were on Jane's side. Theoretically. At least nominally, all the nobles were on Jane's side. Well, Mary already had requests out in the public, in the low down, for her loyal subjects to welcome her and declare for her and come to her. Common sense would tell you Mary had the general population support. Right. Common sense would tell you and me, and we're not even there. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we can go over this back and forth in more detail in a future minicast. It's nine days worth of this and that and this and that. So, here's some highlights, but we'll go into it later. The fleet of boats intended to capture her, mutinied, and turned and supported her. So, there's numbers of men right there. Right. The Spanish were deeply interested in nothing more than cover your A, which is so macho of them. So, they really just came to watch what happened. Hate them, too. (laughs) Thanks for all that help. Uh, Elizabeth (gasps) did not send her 2,000 men to help either. 
See, that's called fence sitting, which was probably comfortable in all those layers of skirts. That's right. <laughs> so that's good. That's when it's the only time it's better and, to be a woman is well, when you have to fence it. At the time, you had to fence it because if you laid your leg on one side of the fence and it was wrong, not only your leg, but your head could go too. Northumberland himself, the puppet master, is kind of forced by Queen Jane. Kind of. Mm -hmm. He wanted to send her father. She's like, I need my father. Why don't you go? It was a lot more formal than that. He was kind of forced to go and fight. And without his boot on everybody's necks and his hand on their backs, they kind of lost their nerve, all the nobles. All the people supporting Queen Jane kind of were like, um, I think I'm going to go over to Queen Mary's side now. And they kind of just, like, started whistling, you know, like they do in cartoons to indicate innocence. And they slipped out of the room, and they, like, kind of went back to their estates, like, I was totally here the whole time. What do you, uh, they... Queen, Queen what? Yeah, yeah, sidling away. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Mary is off doing the Princess Diana walkabout among her supporters. She got off her horse, and... All of these men's hearts are beating out of their bodies, and they're, like, weeping tears of happiness that she exists, and she's standing right in front of them. Okay, so, dude, you lost. So, 14 days after Edward died, and with no battles other than mental ones, and iron cojones, if we speak Spanish again, and the love of her people, Mm -hmm. she was proclaimed queen by the very council that had, not very long ago, declared for Queen Jane. Right. How about them apples? So now that we have got a hold of our throne, our long-awaited throne, let us leave for a short little break, and when we come back, we will take you through Mary's reign. Have you been to thehistorychicks.com lately? We've put our favorite books from seasons one through three in a little feature we like to call the carousel. It's on the right side of our homepage. Give it a spin, and if you feel inspired to click through and purchase, Amazon.com will throw us some cash. Thanks to Amazon.com, and a special thanks to you, all of our friends, for listening. So we're back, and now we are a queen. Now, if she had not forgiven some treachery, she'd have no nobleman left. Honestly, everybody jumped on the train all crazy, and then everybody jumped off the train all crazy, and she's reasonable. She kind of knows what the deal is. Now, Northumberland alone, really, got his head chopped off this time. Yeah, Daddy's little girl. That was He was the first in line. But she did release people who had been taken up arms against her. She forgave them. She showed mercy to them, except for Northumberland. Well, she knew she would need these guys to rule her kingdom because she had been in obscurity. I mean, she had not been at court most of the time. She didn't know how things were run. She needed men that had done it before. Right. And remember, she is England's first women ruler since Empress Matilda. She was the first queen of England. And I... Poor guys. I find it in my heart to feel sorry for them. There were all of these chauvinistic men who now had to adjust to this unprecedented idea that this woman, any woman, was the boss of them. Yeah. In her own right. That's a polar shift that many of them had to make that I feel bad that they had to do kind of instantly. They're used to being able to manipulate men. And so they're probably wondering if their powers will be 
translated <laughs> to a woman. Because women were seen as emotional, and how do you reason with a thing like that, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. After this elaborate and very expensive state procession, in which Mary went from the tower to Westminster Hall to joy in the land. I mean, people were screaming and crying, and they were so happy to see her. Gold on her horses. Her chariot was gold. Gold, gold, gold. Her crown weighed seven pounds. That's like a bag and a half of sugar on her head. (laughs) It was described she had to have one hand holding under her chin because her crown was so heavy that if she took her hand away, her head would nod and loll around and it would look undignified. (laughs) Note to self, order lighter crowns. That's right. But Elizabeth followed her with Anna Cleves. Anna Cleves was there too. It's a big party. It's like a big, happy women supporting women party. It's true. I don't think there was a bronze chariot, only gold and silver. So the coronation was kind of a mixture of king and queen, because any queen that had been crowned was a queen consort, uh, which means just the wife of the ruler. Mm -hmm. So they had to kind of improvise a little bit, but interestingly, she is given a wedding ring that weds her to the country during the coronation. That was neat. And she takes that very seriously, because she doesn't have any other kind of wedding ring on. Well, and unlike her father, who had leaned heavily on Wolsey to get things done and just wanted the highlight reel. Yeah. Mary was very interested. She wanted to know things and she wanted to read about things and think about things and make educated decisions. Whereas Henry VIII is like, just tell me what's going on and I'll sign it. I don't care. He didn't care. He wanted to do other stuff. Right. Party down, sleep with ladies, whatever. (laughs) Here is something very interesting and telling of her character. One of the first things she did was she repaid all of Henry VIII's debts. She repaid all of her brother's debts. Whoa. Tradesmen, soldiers, nobles all over the land. You know, when unexpected money comes in, yeah, you're a little happier. It could boost the economy, some say. Yeah. So that was a very good PR move. Oh, sure. Here's some unexpected money. And another one of the very first things she did was have her parents' divorce stricken. Her parents were officially married, so she was no longer illegitimate. So that covered her fanny for anyone that wanted to overthrow her. And she also had it made into law that the queen has the same powers as a king. That is a good start. But then here's this old religion question rearing its ugly head again. At first, it was kind of mild, like it was a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Her majesty would be glad and as much desire if all of her subjects embraced the religion she has always professed. Okay, then it moves on a little further. Until Parliament was called, she would not constrain her subjects on matters of religion. Okay, that seems a little bit like, just wait for it, it's Mm -hmm. coming. Mm -hmm. And then, she actively reversed Edward's Protestant laws one by one and reinstituted something called the Heresy Acts. Now, the Heresy Act had been taken away by her dad. And what it said is that people who went against the religion of the state could be burned at the stake. So just so you know, there it is. So um, another big problem was, hey, a queen's going to need a husband, right? And at 37, you're going to need a husband right now. 37 in our time with modern medicine, you can still have babies. I had one after 37, um, but back then, it's it's getting to be dire time, and she needs to work on an heir. But it's puzzling to them, because who would be the boss? Because obviously men are always the bosses, right? So if she marries a foreign guy, is he going to be our king? 
That's pretty terrifying to them. Especially if she picks a foreign guy from a country like, oh, I don't know, Spain. That's pretty That's, scary. Yeah, it is. So they Situations. offered up some options in country for her, and none of them quite suited her. Yeah, well, definitely suitors lined up. Some were cockamamie. We wouldn't even talk about them. Yeah, They're no. out of the question. There were a few real contenders. Englishmen, like you said. Mm-hmm. Edward Courtney was descended from the Plantagenets. I can't beat that. He had some royal blood in him, but he'd been in prison because of it since he was 12. And now at 27, he's pretty damaged goods. Yeah, all those um, years of prison will do that to you. You can't just dust him off and bring him on out. And like, shine him up a little bit. Shine, yeah, no. bless him, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. He uh, was let out, though. Yeah. Hooray. And he indulged in some spectacular oat sewing. Mary didn't even like him personally. He was probably, frankly, a mess. Oh, I'm sure. I don't blame him. But no. still, he was not. And I don't blame her for rejecting him. No. So her point was that if she married an Englishman, her children would have less status worldwide. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like she wouldn't have she that alliance for, with another country right. for her children. She was thinking like of the globe and of the power that two countries united could have. Well, she settled on Philip of Spain, who was the son of her former fiancé, Charles V. Who she had gone to for advice, and he's like, well, you could marry me, but I'm kind of old, or let me see, who would be... I know, how about my son? Yeah. He was 11 years younger than her. His response, when his father told him who he was to marry, he just said, I have no other will than yours. I'm an obedient son. He was totally not jumping up and down. No, that wasn't his dream. He was not exactly handsome, but he was very charming. What do you want it to be? Yes. Well, he was a highly educated guy. He was a man of the world. He had a mistress. He had an eight-year-old son from a wife uh, who had already died. He had a taste for fine living. You know, what a match. A pretty sheltered virgin of 37. With a lot of stomach ailments. And she dreaded voluptuousness, is how she put it. Oh, voluptuousness. And then she wrote to Charles and said about her future husband, mm-hmm. if he were disposed to be amorous, this is not my desire. I'm of an age. Your majesty knows of. I'd never thought of love this way. So basically, like, I don't know about the bed thing. It's, it's confusing. Who is she going to ask? Good point. <laughs> I mean, she had all these ladies, and I'm sure they gave her some tips or whatever, but, yeah, she was very nervous about that part. Uh, Mary stood firm. She had decided, so it would be Philip. She didn't announce it right away when she just had her deep prayer session when she decided that that's what God wanted her to do. She didn't announce it. Well, she kind of kept it secret until the terms were hammered out, right. too. Because you don't want to announce and be embarrassed when they go, No, I don't want blah, blah, blah. Well, Philip was not treated well in these <laughs> these marriage negotiations, although you can see why they did it. They put all these regulations in to prevent him from being the boss of England. Because they'd never had to have this happen before. Right. Usually a princess comes, she renounces her title to her old country, end of story. Here's a ring. Right. Give us some babies. You can't do that to a man. And so he was not to appoint any foreigners to high office. He was not to alter or make any, quote, innovations into the laws and customs of England. He could aid in administration. You know, he could have a title. His children could inherit, but they had to stay in England. Children couldn't go away without permission of Parliament. Mm -hmm. He couldn't take any booty or men or weaponry out. He couldn't involve England in wars between Spain and France. It's like, what am I doing then? Why am I coming? Oh, my God. I'm sure this is increasing his attitude, which is 
not good. Oh, and as grumpy as Prince Philip was, mm-hmm. that was nothing to what was going on at home. I mean, conspirators, including Jane Grey's father, mm-hmm. planned simultaneous uprisings in three places. They were going to meet up in London and dethrone Mary. They were going to um, rope in Elizabeth to be their leader. Elizabeth's no fool. She stayed out of it. Yeah. At least she stayed out of it on paper. History's not sure if she really was out of it. But she was out of it as far as proof was concerned. So one rebel leader bailed for France immediately, but a guy named Wyatt actually attacked the palace where Mary was. And everybody's like, flee, flee, run away, run away. And she's basically like, no way. And she's in there. And it was a big game of chicken. And he gave up first. And he gave up his head. It was a deadly game of chicken. That. These conspirators thought she would show mercy again. You know, like she was previously attacked. And, you know, she let people off. But I have to tell you, a hundred people that were involved in this rebellion were hunted down and executed, including yep. poor Jane Grey, who we'll talk about in a minicast, and her husband Guildford, yep. also innocent as heck. Mm-hmm. Mary didn't want to go that far, but, you know, you just couldn't let it happen. She had to show what she could do and the power that she had and what she wasn't afraid to do. Yes. So. And Mary, honestly, would have been relieved to find Elizabeth had something to do with it. She put Elizabeth in the tower for a Mm -hmm. bit. And then she took her out of the tower and sent her out to the country kind of under house arrest. Mm -hmm. People, no fools, treated Elizabeth more nicely than they might have because of our old friend fence-sitting. She's the next heir until Mary has a child. So you're not going to make the next queen mad at you? Well, you know what? Maybe Mary will have babies. It's possible, right? So Philip finally comes with thousands of people and 70 ships. So if you're nervous (laughs) that a foreign guy is coming to take over your country... And he shows up with 70 ships and all these people. Yeah. I think you're going to be a little nervous, but it was pomp. It was like, look how powerful I am. So the crazy kids actually do go get married. You know what? When he met Mary, he was very disappointed, but she was all like, all right. Now, she had a portrait of him. Yeah. (laughs) You know, she fell in love with the portrait. Well, right before the wedding, his father made him the king of Naples. So he was the king of something. He wasn't the king of England. Naples, though. Yeah, that was good. So Mary and Philip were married with maximum ado, and they became, let me take a deep breath because it's really long, Philip and Mary, by the grace of God, king and queen of England, France, Naples, Jerusalem and Ireland, defenders of the faith, princes of Spain and Sicily, archdukes of Austria, dukes of Milan, Burgundy and Brabant, counts of Habsburg, ah, and Tyrol. In Flanders. I ran out of breath. It's hard to fit on a business card, that. So no real details of the actual wedding night. Sorry about that. History is silent. Mm. They did have the a ceremony, just like, and, you know, we've just got... Ow. 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 Funny bone that's not funny. We've discussed that before. Now, there's a ceremony of the wedding night. And things probably that. happened. One thing Philip did, even though he was there under duress and under terms he really disapproved of, he put himself out to be charming mm-hmm. and approachable and amiable. I would call him a piss artist because it was all fake. But whatever. As long as everyone thought he was a nice man. Mary. And Mary thought he was nice. Oh, yeah. She was very happy. She was besotted with him. Underneath it all, he was pretty peeved about things like Mary had the king's rooms, and he had to stay in the traditional queen consort rooms. Yeah. Just redecorate, dude. That's what the spouse of the ruler does. But it was a status <laughs> thing. He's like, I'm seriously yeah. over here. This is where I am. Mm. Yeah. And also, not only would he not be crowned, they decided not mm-hmm. to crown him so there wouldn't be any question about 
are you our king? Are you the boss of us? He had to pay his people out of his own Spanish money. He was not even given an allowance. So Mary, maybe sensing his frustration, because I'm sure it was leaking out, because I can tell from here, this is a tense man. Yes. <laughs> um, she wants to keep him happy. Yes. She gave him yeah. a big project, and this is a big project, very important to her. Yep. Please, would you, Philip, handle getting back in with the Pope for me? You're a Catholic. You can handle that. You're a man. And you know what? He did a good job with that. And it was a very delicate negotiation because he had to convince the Pope, I'm sorry, the church lands and all the money is just gone. I can't get it back without causing war. And he had to convince the nobles, okay, the Pope has agreed to that. Can we just go back to the church, agree with the Pope, you can keep all the crap you stole. (laughs) He did a good job. And England's, quote, sins were forgiven. They were back. And he did a good job. Yes. And for his new country. And I think he was uniquely qualified to do that. Can't you imagine how happy that made Mary at last? And then more happy because Her Majesty was pregnant. Yes. She was nauseous. She Her belly was getting extended. She was queasy. The doctors decided that she was pregnant. Unfortunately, the doctors really couldn't examine her very closely because she was a queen after all, and that would be extremely inappropriate. But they decided she was pregnant, and she was so joyful. In April, she went to her room for her lying in, and she invited Elizabeth. Ho, ho, Elizabeth. Why don't you come to witness the birth of your replacement? (laughs) Madam. Paraphrase. So, oh, yes. Implied. But don't you think, I need your help so that I can wipe your face in your low position now. Well, maybe she wanted her there by her side as her half-sister. No, don't think so. So at the end of April, church bells ring. A son! A son! There's feasting in the streets. There's whining and dining and there's opening of barrels and sticking mouths under the spigots. (laughs) Um, no. Sorry, a rumor got out. Something bad happened. No, uh, sorry, can you pay me for all that wine? Thank yeah, you. that's right. Okay, by the end of May, the doctors are like, hmm, okay, this is obviously a math problem. We've miscounted. You mistook your date, madam. Okay, but by the end of July, yeah. <laughs> it is a grievous embarrassment. There's no baby in there. No. Note to self, when you time travel, seek out a lady named Frida's Wide Strelly. Shouldn't be hard. She's the only one not named Elizabeth or Mary <laughs> or Jane. She's the only person at court who was honest with Mary the whole time. One lady in waiting who said the whole time, you're not expecting a child, madam. You're not. Everyone else is like, of course you are. You think so? Oh, yes. You totally are. Even the doctors were afraid. But this one like lady in waiting. new baby. It was the Emperor's new baby. Oh, my God. So, anyway, if you ever need some honesty, seek out the only person on Earth ever named Frida Swide. The only honest lady. I'd keep her around if I were her. I will. So, Philip could not wait to get away. He was humiliated anyway. His father was thinking about abdicating back at home. They had some trouble, some battles brewing. He had bigger fish to fry where his manliness was needed than all of this mess. He was done. And it took a while to pack all his crap, etc. But he did end up leaving and going back home. Mary was very sad, and she wept and cried. But, you know, underneath it all, she did know he did have to go back at some point. He did have control over other land. It could be explained away that way. She knew that his job had some travel involved. (laughs) That was part of the plan. That's right. Okay, now here's something we have not talked about. It's the elephant in the room, I guess. So why is she called Bloody Mary? Where did this come from? 
Do you remember those heresy laws we talked about earlier? Well, about this time, right before Philip leaves, they start to be enforced. Everything that was in the church service, as they had known it, was no more. It had to revert back to a more Catholic service. The Protestant preachers could no longer preach. A number of them were married, and obviously priests don't marry. The Book of Common Prayer, which had been used for some time, was banned. Anyone printing Protestant literature would lose their presses, which means they would lose their business. All of these rules were enforced by a law, and if you break them, you could get burned at the stake. And they started to burn at the stake. She really had two main religious goals. Reverse all those extremist practices her brother had put in place, kind of going back to the old days of unquestioning, just common, this is how we do it thing. Mm. Why do we have to be all crazy? Can we just go back to the way it was? Right. And also to get back good with Rome. Now because they were back in with Rome, she needed to enforce it to show that she was serious about her relationship with the Pope. Let's talk about the first three. There were two bishops named Latimer and Ridley, both beloved by the people, but they were bad examples, and they were defying her, and it couldn't be. It couldn't be. She was the queen. She was not to be defied. Although, hmm, you've done it yourself, ma'am. Whatever. She's defied kings before. Yes. But she was not going to show them any mercy. They were back with the Pope now. She had to show she was serious about turning England back to a Catholic country. And so many people would follow these guys. She had to save the people. And so, those two bishops were burnt at the stake. Latimer was, quote, lucky enough to have dry wood around him, but Ridley had some green wood, and he really was tormented. Yeah, his fire didn't start really quickly. That was a very um, potent example. There was a third man who honestly had no hope. I, I don't even think religion had a thing to do with it. Mr. Cramer, the one responsible for her mother's divorce, the one responsible for all her troubles... By the way, not about to let him go. No. I don't care what you say. You're not going. I'm I have a personal surprised vendetta about you. That he slid in at th number three. Why didn't he go first? So Cranmer, they thought they would make an example of him and force him to recant his Protestant ways in public. Mm -hmm. And you know what? He, I think, to save his life, agreed to go along with it and drafted a document and signed it. And that didn't give him clemency. And so he decided overnight, the night before his execution, that that was the wrong thing for him to have done. If he was going to die anyway, he was going to go out a man. Mm -hmm. And true to his faith, he goes into the fire, he sticks his right hand that he signed that oath with into the fire first. So that hand is the first thing to burn up. Because he said that hand had offended him and had betrayed his true faith. Mm -hmm. Woo! Is that a PR nightmare? Yeah. It was supposed to go Mary's way, and my, it sure didn't. Hmm. No, no. And they were starting, even with those three, which could have been... Examples yeah. of what would happen if you broke this law. Suddenly they became idols. They became martyrs for their faith. Now, here's the thing. Just from my reading, it seems like the Crown and the Council took very little notice after this of specific names. Specific cases after this. It was left a lot to the local authorities who may or may not have had a quota. So in that way, maybe they were monitoring numbers or whatever, but, but unfortunately, local grudges could mm -hmm. now, like, did you want to get rid of your wife? Then tell them she didn't go to a mass, or that guy stole your pig. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it could be anything. Right. And it seems to be a Salem witch trial type hysteria situation, mm -hmm. is what it seems like to me. No, like, I, I, I don't yeah. think Mary was up there with a rubber stamp going, ha, ha, light him. lady. Yeah. Yeah, light him on fire. So that's the image of her, like, sitting there micromanaging the whole thing. She could have stopped it at any time. That's true. I will say. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, 
yard, she is at fault. I'm just not sure why she didn't, because based on what we know so far, it seems like she's not the shrieking fanatic, but maybe she just thought it, God's will would play out. Maybe. Right. But she didn't micromanage the way that she's shown to be. Like, she didn't directly go down mm-hmm. there and point at people and say, other than a few high-ranking dudes. Yeah, it was, done, more on, political. It was done on a local level. And it wasn't just clergy, like you were just saying. It was commoners and women. Children. Newborn yeah. baby, in one case. Yep. But maybe she thought they were better off not with those beliefs. Maybe she was trying for souls instead of bodies. But the thing is, this was a legal proceeding. Mm -hmm. You had to go through trial. Like any other criminal act, you know, theft, harlotry, blah, blah, blah. You went to trial. There was evidence. Mary was not in the courtroom. Mary was not in the square supervising. Right. I don't know. She just said it could happen, and then the local people took it on as best they could. I mean, you know, Henry VIII is reported to have killed as many as 72,000 people for assorted reasons, mostly because he was a psycho. And her total was less than 300, 287. Yeah, and she only had five years to get all that done, but she's not directly involved. Yeah. I don't know. So so I just think the Bloody Mary thing, there was a lot of blood, and there was a lot of unhappiness, mm-hmm. but I don't, I just don't know that she deserves that reputation. It wasn't, actually, until an author named John Fox wrote a book six years after she died, called Acts and Monuments, of which part of it they pull out, called the Book of Martyrs, mm-hmm. um, is, is the most famous part of that book. Right. Um, kind yeah. of wrote out eyewitness descriptions, character of the people. And it's a history of Protestant persecution. It starts back in Martin Luther's time and goes... He, there's actually some during even Edward's reign right. that are in that book, but the, all the people that were during Mary's reign are also recorded. And it's interesting that John Fox had left, in ex- he was in exile, he started keeping track of all this. Well, you know, a lot of the most powerful Protestants had left. Mm-hmm. They were in exile. They weren't kicked out, but they knew they better get out because their names might be on Mary's list. Forget yeah. the local guy. Their names might be on Mary's list, so they bailed. Maybe that's the reason Mary didn't say too many names, because all the people she knew... <laughs> to denounce it and had bailed. Um, so there are a lot of controversies about that book and about, well, where did he get his information? That it was sensationalist literature, and it was definitely one-sided because of the way he meant for it to come across. And that's just a fact. It was a biased news source. It was, but later on, Elizabeth would order that a copy of it appear in every church. <laughs> so when she was 40, Charles V abdicated. He was in very poor health. Um, his son became emperor, and Mary became queen consort of Spain. She kept writing to Philip, can you come back, please? Can you come back? I need you here. Things are getting crazy. England was a mess. I need you to help me. Um, In fact, he came back to try to get her to help him fight the French. Mm -hmm. That's why he came back. Um, And they... She really didn't want to get involved until the French tried to depose Mary. They came they came over and tried to depose her. So England reluctantly joined the fight, and Mary got rewarded for that by losing Calais, their last French territory. Yeah, that, that hurt her. That was a sting. I mean, it was an expensive toy to maintain. Mm-hmm. That Calais was, like, hard to defend. It was all alone. There wasn't even so awesome of things there, but it was a symbolic presence. On the mainland, so she lost it. Yeah, that didn't work out too good. No, and Elizabeth was kind of blamed for another attempt called the Dudley Conspiracy, and Philip actually urged clemency 
Even if Elizabeth was guilty for participating, you need to show your sister some clemency. You're like Historians think Philip might have saved her life right then, Elizabeth, because Mary was kind of at the end of her rope. Mm-hmm. Her husband didn't love her. She really didn't have anybody. And here's this Elizabeth again, like, getting in her face. And the country's kind of blowing up a little. And she was turning about and about. And I think she probably would have killed Elizabeth, I think, had it not been for Philip telling her to cool it. Do you think? No, I I, I think so. I think that Elizabeth was in and out of her official favor, regardless of how she really felt about her, her whole reign. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth's in, Elizabeth's out. Elizabeth's in, hang her portrait, take it down. You know, it was... It was a weird relationship. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at 41, her husband, having been there and done something, I guess, Mary was just convinced again that she was pregnant. Now, this time... Unlike the last time, nobody really took her seriously. Everyone thought it was a delusion from the beginning. Yeah. The previous one was considered to be a phantom pregnancy, which is basically a psychological condition that causes your body to react as if you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. This second one, people speculate, might actually be uterine cancer or ovarian tumors or ovarian... I mean, maybe there was a physical cause for this one. Right. A strange virus was stalking Europe. About now, when Mary was 41, a lot of people were going down. This is not the sweat, the sweat of Anne Boleyn times. This is a all-out flu pandemic, like the one that happened in the early 1900s. It just killed, 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 killed. And it really affected about 40% of the population. Mm -hmm. Mary was already in bad health with whatever that was. Was it stomach cancer? Mm -hmm. Was it uterine cancer? Mm -hmm. Was it, you know, what was it that she was really sick with instead of being pregnant? She also caught the flu. The combination of these things was just weakening her. She was going down. She was going down. Over the course of months, she had plenty of time to name Elizabeth as her successor. And she finally did, officially. And on November 17th, 1558, Mary Tudor died in her sleep, peaceful at last. Elizabeth spent two million pounds of today's money Mm -hmm. on her spectacular funeral. She had her buried in Westminster Abbey. Unfortunately, the tomb that she was buried in, it it got kind of destroyed over the years. And after Elizabeth's death, James I had another beautiful tomb made with Elizabeth's effigy on top of it and buried the two sisters together with and engraved on it, translated from Latin, is partners both in throne and grave. Here rest we two sisters, Elizabeth and Mary, in the hope of a resurrection. But isn't that kind of sad? Because history has exalted Elizabeth. Like, she's so famous. She did have a longer reign. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. But here's Mary, who struggled her whole life to get here, only reigned for five years, and she is resting forever under a statue of Elizabeth. Listed second. Sounds wrong to me. No, it kind of does. So Mary endured more mistreatment than people give her credit for, honestly. She did have some good reforms. She only had five years. She was very interested in education of the young. Yes. And of college age. What could she have done with more time? She was very interested in economics. Some of her policies ended up reducing prices by 30%. She raised taxes on foreign imports, which was wise to raise money. Mm -hmm. And it was successful, just not enough time for her to be able to take the credit, which is And there's too many black spots in the the five years that kind of overshadow it. So she's often forgotten by people who paint her as this kind of caricature of this evil mastermind or, or some bumbling doofus run by the men in her life, but... 
If she just had more time to correct her image and finish her work, we may have seen her very differently. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Let's talk about some media. Okay. Books. Books. I have um, The Tudors by G.J. Meyer is a good overall book. We've recommended that before. Mm-hmm. A book that I really like called is called The First Queen of England by Linda Porter. Its subtitle is The Myth of Bloody Mary. Also, uh, The Children of Henry VIII by Alison Weir. Anna Whitelock wrote a book called Mary Tudor, Princess, Bastard, Queen. And then there is another book called Mary One, England's Catholic Queen by John Edwards. Now, Not those, that John Edwards. No. I don't think so. <laughs> think so. Um, and of those three, I would say I liked the Linda Porter book the best. It's more casually written. Yes. It is. Um, I just think it's very nice, and it's very humanizing. I guess that's important to me. It's a very humanizing book that kind of goes a little into motivation instead of, you know, just facts. There is a, for uh, probably middle grade, there's a scholastic book called A Wicked History, Mary Tudor, Courageous Queen or Bloody Mary, and it's very easy to read if for middle grade or anybody. I read it, <laughs> and the picture on the front flat out looks like the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland. I know. It's, she has a big, huge head and a little tiny body. Yeah, it's by Jane uh, Buchanan. And finally, we have Fox's Book of Martyrs by John Fox. It's not actually light reading, no. but um, pick it up at your library and you know just flip through and just read a few of them not fun reading but <laughs> it's not a beach read we were not able to get this information into the podcast anywhere but the nursery rhyme mary mary quite contrary how does your garden grow with silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row actually refers to queen mary the silver bells and the cockle shells represented um items of torture let's keep it g-rated <laughs> um and uh, the maid was a device called the maiden, and it was an early form of the guillotine. So another children's nursery rhyme that has rather morbid origins. Well, and the Bloody Mary drink. I have to say, there are various rumors about its origin, but even if it was not referring directly to Bloody Mary, there was a, you may refer to a waitress at a place called the Bucket of Blood. Well, you don't just call random Mary's Bloody Mary, so you're referring to the previous Bloody Mary when mm-hmm. you name the waitress. So either way, it's named after Bloody Mary. Traces back to her. Mary Tudor. It is a delicious drink. I'll post a recipe. I should have had some today, but yes, it's really early have. in the morning, so <laughs> we didn't, and it wasn't brunch, so. That's okay. Uh, also, there is a game that children play where you put your face in the mirror and you say bloody mary bloody mary i don't think that's entirely this bloody mary no and it's just kind of creepy there's many many the marys point. this might refer to um and the top contender is actually a mary that died in upstate new york about 100 years ago um so that's, there you go there's actually there's a horrible histories and we'll give you the link to this with a mary tudor song i love those horrible histories they're very <laughs> clever um tudorhistory.org is a good is really good for middle grade probably maybe through high school or anyone who wants a quick read on anybody in the tudor era we've recommended that before there's also um the tutorswiki.com lists 
the deaths by Tudor. Who did Elizabeth have put to death? Who did Edward have put to death? Mm -hmm. Who did Henry have put to death? So it lists them numerically, and I have to say, Henry VIII comes in a clear first. Yeah. Clear first. He was there for quite some time. Uh, Second place does go to Mary, just so you know. But it's not bloody Henry VIII. Whatever. Now, the TV show um, that's on Netflix, The Monarchy by David Sturkey, um, you know, go further to the right, further to the right, and you'll get to the episode that involves Mary. Watch the Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn situation first so you get a little handle on the background. But, yeah, he covers her and her reign and Edward's also. And I have to say, although the Tudors is wildly inaccurate in a lot of things, um, the actress that plays Mary is so good. I totally agree. I actually put that she was less modest than the real deal, much prettier. Um, and she didn't have the red hair, but her attitude? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I would say kind of watch that to get a feel for the situation and how she might have dealt with it as a young woman. I, I just think that's really good. I do not like how Mary is portrayed in the Elizabeth movies starring Kate Blanchett. No. Mary is not portrayed in three dimensions anywhere. Yeah, there's a BBC Tudors miniseries that, that's on Netflix, but... Quite honestly, I didn't like it. And I don't mean that anything against the BBC, and it's older, so maybe that, I don't know, maybe it was dated. Uh. So there is Mary, one of England, Bloody Mary, and I would say, let me leave you with a quote from the author Linda Porter from her book, The First Queen of England. One of the main themes of Mary's existence is the triumph of determination over adversity. She lived in a violent, intolerant age, surrounded by the intrigues of a time when men and women gambled their lives for advancement at court. Pride, stubbornness, and an instinct for survival saw her through tribulations that would have destroyed a lesser woman. Her bravery put her on the throne and kept her there, so when she died, she was able to bequeath to Elizabeth a precious legacy that is often overlooked. She had demonstrated to the world that a woman could rule in her own right. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. Listen to us on Stitcher, the super fabulous radio app of tomorrow. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Back and forth, slamming doors, tears like rain on my front porch. There's always a moment, a second you know that it's over, it's done. She's not the one, it's not her, but it is. You're ready to live, she's not holding you back, loving her wrist. I mean, it's like living without all the hope, like jumping in, looking to the punch unknown. But that's how we grow, get the wings, get to fly, get to find who we are, get to find what's inside. Your guy says goodbye, you've been trying to find. Don't ask why, don't apologize. I'm holding on your rope, got me ten feet off the ground. Hearing what you say, but I just can't make you sound. You tell me that you need me, then you go and cut me down. But wait, you tell me that you're sorry, didn't think I'd turn around. You say, let us do
Take another chance.